Welcome to the True Logic, the podcast edition, the place where we talk about trends, news, and insights for businesses and individuals who want to succeed in digital marketing. Join our host, SEO expert and certified mama's boy, Burn Sun Wan, as he gives you insights on digital marketing fundamentals, tips and best practices, and easy conversations with industry experts about the latest trends and happenings in the digital world. Let's get started. Hi, guys, and welcome to another episode of True Logic DX. Today, we're going to be talking about a topic that I am personally genuinely curious about. We're going to talk about brand marketing approaches to digital and agency approaches to digital. Now, if you're new to digital marketing or just, you know, if you're starting off career and you're probably clueless about where to start, this might be the right conversation for you to listen to. Lucky for you. We've got the former business development director and communications strategist for from our friends at ADA. Uh, and he's now the head of global content strategy at Shell, one of the largest energy companies in the world. Uh, he's got a very broad speaking circuit. He, he lectures, spe- especially, you know, when it's for a good cause. So I don't want to waste much time. Uh, join me in a conversation with Mr. Jason Cruz. So Jason, head of global content strategy versus the last role you had in ADA. Like, what are the most glaring differences between the two roles? Uh, the responsibility is very different. So when I was in ADA, I was heading BizDev and Comstrat. BizDev is about looking for clients. Uh, and it was bringing in external clients to the agency. And that's how the agency makes money. The Comstrat is creating the direction for the brands, advertising, comms, and data campaigns. That's very product specific, right? It's very solutions oriented. When now that I am in the client side and I'm working on content strategy, it's very direction based and very long term thinking. I would say if we were gonna pick one glaring difference, it's the time scale. So for example, when I was when I joined the company last November and my first job was to create this three year content strategy. I mean, who does three-year content strategies now, right? <laughs> yeah. Especially for agencies, right? I mean, we, we both were on the same side of the boat. And we know that it's very short-termism, right? It's clients give you a brief, solve this, and then I want to see months, results in three to six right, months. Right. Yeah, 12 months is already like amazingly long for a performance eval. But here we are. I had to create like a three-year content strategy. And I have to say, it's one of the toughest things I had to do early this year. That was my entire Q1. Because... I can't predict. I don't have a crystal ball. I can't predict right. what content would be useful resonate for the with next, your audience, right? Correct, for the next two years. But that also pushed my, I would say my research abilities to the max because I had to work with a lot of our internal data team and even our external research teams to figure out what are the long or long-ish terms, characteristics, traits, maybe even like building blocks of a particular target market. So my target audience for my particular line of work are, are Gen Zs mm-hmm. and very specifically Gen Zs who are into science and engineering. I don't talk to like the regular customer base or consumer base. That's not my job. My job is to talk to engineering students, get them super inspired and motivated to join our competition and kind of talk about it. And perhaps when they enter the workforce 10, 15, 20 years from now, start developing you know, cars of the future or visions mm-hmm. of like mobility and energy of the future. So it's very long term as a concept. It's very hard to grasp actually. 
But once you're in the thick of things, it makes a lot of sense. It's about investing now for a future benefit. But my stakeholders are kids. And I have to figure out what kind of stories would work or resonate with these kids. Both good and bad. Good because it's fun. It's very interesting. It's very exciting. It allows me to be super relevant with like the younger generation. But bad because, dude, I'm 34. And I've never felt so old as when I... (laughs) Dude, it's so crazy. It's so crazy. I was in Indonesia for one of our events. And some of the kids are 18 years old, 19 years old, right? And when they ask wow. questions or when they like send a message mm-hmm. or send an email, half of it I'm like, wow, this this is crazy, man. This is this is youth speak. And and yeah, and, yeah this must be like how we talk to uh, to our like my bosses 10 years ago. And it's it's just it's just very interesting for me, but it also gives me that that uh, reality check that I ain't a, I ain't a spring chicken anymore. Right. So and like take for example the role at ABA, right? Like coming from an agency background before ABA, there was probably already that somebody held that job title before, or at least you know you can tell from the job you sort of have an idea about what it is. So you you sort of know what to expect. Like in this in this shell role, did you inherit it from somebody, or is it an entirely new role? For both, honestly, it's a bit of a jump into the dark for me. Except I would say the ABA one, hard as it may seem to believe, it was harder. Because when I was in my first agency for for almost eight years, my job was really about social media. And that's where we met, right? We give talks. You give yeah. talks on SEO. I give talks on social media and content and, and influencer marketing. And so moving to ADA, it was a lot of biz dev. And I didn't think I would be like okay at the job. But I suppose the fact that I've built a network as well over the last 10 years helped a lot uh, with my teaching, with my public speaking. So the business development was like a natural transition to going out there. And I don't really have like a sense of shame <laughs> going to clients or messaging people on LinkedIn. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not at all embarrassed to do that. And you know, I, I like to think about it this way. The worst that could happen is they say no, and then you're back to status quo and you've yeah. absolutely lost nothing. Right? So that's, the I would say, the hardest transition. It was shifting my focus from writing just social media strategies or just content strategies into literally getting out there, putting our company out there. And I would say trying to attract clients into quite an obscure product that ADA had, which is data. Now moving to the, the energy sectors and you know with, with, with Shell, content strategy was almost like me going back to my roots, which is social media content, digital content, stuff mm-hmm. that it's very hands-on, but I don't get to... I mean, I'm not writing the copy or, or creating the visuals anymore, but getting back into the fundamentals of what kind of stories do people like, I thought that was an easier transition. Honestly, that was an easier transition for me from a work perspective. But from a culture perspective, that was tough because you know how it is. Agency culture is drastically different, right? We're a little yeah, too yeah. gung-ho at times. We're a little too hustle mindset. We don't yeah. necessarily respect time and boundaries and vacations. <laughs> and I moved That's to this a company. Laugh right, there. right? It, it, and, it, and I'm sure everyone in this, in this session can, can, can uh, relate to that if you're coming from agency. But joining like a brand, a multinational that's, uh, you know, it's, it's always been like a top employer as well. It was such a weird experience too when I applied for leave and I didn't set in a way 
from office alert. Like my, my, my manager was like, you got to do it. Otherwise, people would message you and say, you know, it's fine. I can read it and reply the next day. She said, no, you shouldn't even be reading your emails. So it was, yeah, it was a massive culture uh, shake up for me, I'd say. Yeah. So those are two big changes for you, right? Like the, like A, the target audience is obviously very different because at ABA, oh, the yeah. target audience is whoever the target audience of the client is. That's who you Correct, get. correct. And or plus right? for the company, my target audience were businesses. So I kind of had two, right? I right. had target companies. And then when I work with the companies, whatever their target audience is, I need to be really weird. Right. And then the other, and then I think the, the other big difference is, is in culture. Are those the two biggest contrasts between agency life versus brand life? Yeah. I would say with talking contrast, culture, culture is mm-hmm. crazy. It was massively jarring to my system. The fact that when my workday ends, which is around 4 or 5 p.m. London time, when my workday ends, literally nobody calls me nobody messages me no one <laughs> no one reads my whatsapp messages to my team and i kind of felt at one point that i was i was the toxic work mm-hmm. culture guy i'll tell you a story uh last when was this i think this was around july or august and you know when you have a thought and you you don't want to forget it you have to send yeah. it and yep. i sent an email uh it was some a couple of members of my team were copied and then my agency partners were copied and i sent it on a, on a saturday morning manila time saturday that's right. like middle of the night friday right and right. i got a i would say like i i, I didn't get palo or a stern talking to but i got a strong reminder like from my teammates like, hey man it's late friday night we shouldn't be calling our agencies at this time we shouldn't be sending them emails because that makes them work and i'm thinking Holy cow, where were these brands from? It's an agency. Uh, right? Where were these people? Where were these people? But, That's but true. I, I, no, but admittedly, I've it's it's just such an accepted culture, right? For, right? for agency people to if you got an email on Saturday, you'd read it. I mean, you don't necessarily have to reply. And right. I would like to say my clients never did really expect me to reply unless it literally has the word urgent, Jason, yeah. reply now. But it was just that culture that we have to check work. We have to read this now. We have to open our inboxes on weekends. It was that for me for almost 11 years. And then suddenly I'm in this culture where, no, you can't do that. You shouldn't do that because there are boundaries and you have to respect it. I like it. I really, I really do like the, sh- the shift. So candid question though, would winning that role have been possible without the agency experience? Ooh, that's tough. Uh, I can only speak from my perspective. And I would say no, because the way even like my interview sessions went and the way they were looking at my profile, it was the depth and breadth of work that I had in the industry. And I don't think that's possible if you're not an agency. So I'll give an example. I have friends who have been client-side all their lives and they, they work for the big multinationals. They probably have one or two major campaigns throughout their entire careers. So over right. 10 years, maybe one or two major ones. And then every year you have your annual, you know this, right? The annual advertising campaign or annual right. like Christmas campaign for the Philippines. Right. And that gives you a depth and breadth of maybe one a year, maybe two if you're very lucky as a brand or if you have budget. But if you're agency, like my time in ADA, I I brought in 12 clients, if I'm not mistaken, or 12 projects. And 
in, in a span of one year and 10 months, that's already 12, right? And that's not counting right. all the projects that we collaborated with region or pitches that we lost or that weren't awarded. So there's a lot of those. So that I would say the agency background, and I was I would always tell this in school talks, if you want a lot in a very short period of time, like a lot of learnings, a lot of lessons, a lot of failures, even in a very short period of time, right. go agency because it's agency is very rock and roll. Whereas I would say now that I've been client side for a year, it's a lot more based because you're, you're thinking more long-term. You're not necessarily thinking 10 projects at once. In right. agencies, the, the work stream is very different. Right? You, need, you need clients. You even breathe clients. So if you have 10 clients, then your agency makes money. But that means 10 projects in one year, which is really good for like career development, but yeah. obviously really bad for sleep hours. Right. But at the end of the day, it, it's what helped. I, I would say it's what helped boost my experience in a relatively right. short amount of time. Because yeah, I don't think you could gain that experience in like 10, 11, 12 years of not being in agency. I, I also think the other thing I like about being in an agency is I'm not sure if you're going to share if you're going to share the same sentiment. It's very forgiving, right? B- because a lot of a lot of the work you do is high is very progressive, more than perfectionist. I think in brand there is probably more perfectionism than there would be in agency. Because in agencies, I mean, let's face it, you are allowed to fail. Like there, there is almost explicit permission to fail, and then you can reiterate, and then you can do better. I, I see or your does point. that exist in brand too? No, I see your point. I see your point. Just to build on the whole agency where you're almost allowed to fail, I would say there is a degree of leeway because clients, uh, I would say clients probably know or don't know that the work is only as good as the brief, right? It's right. If, if the brief is, is not well written, then the work is going to reflect it. And there's also the, the factor that agency work is really dictated by people. So if you work with a really great team inside the agency, then the work is also really good. And clients tend to be more forgiving in that in that sense because they know that, look, if it wasn't like an amazing campaign, it's probably a one-off. The next one's probably going to be better. And generally, that, that bet pays off. Right. From a client perspective, I would say that it's less risk-taking as a nature because it's now your money, right? You're not playing with the client's money anymore. It's taken off your budget. So mm-hmm. you're a bit more wary you're a bit more uh cautious when it comes yeah. to taking all of those risks like for me my when when i brief my agencies for campaigns i know some are not going to be amazing but there's of course there's that internal pressure for me to ensure that all the campaigns are amazing because of the responsibility that comes with the role but the reality is it can't i mean if every campaign was amazing then every single campaign is like a can winner or a, or, a, or a pencil yeah. winner and we yeah, know they're not true. right so you try to increase your chances, yes, but there's no way to guarantee that everything's going to be amazing. So, and agencies, at the end of the day, if you have multiple clients, honestly, and I've gone through this before, if you fail, but you have four or five clients that are also supporting the business, it's probably not going to be terrible. Like, you feel really bad, and reputation wise, you might take a hit, but the business stream is relatively safe. Right. Where I see agencies fail is if they place their bets on like one or two really big clients and then they right. lose that client. And then bang, that's where you see people getting retrenched. And I think that's very sad. Yeah. Because if you're, you know, right. So going back to the point of being allowed to fail, sure. But as long as safety nets are there, then I would say from agency right. perspective, it's a bit easier. Yeah. 
And although easy, you know, but easier. Yeah, but also on the flip side, right? Like that's easy to see if you're part of the leadership team of, of an agency, like because you know those safety nets are there, you know how well diversified the portfolio of the agency is. But when yeah, you're an employee, yeah. you don't necessarily know that, right? Between the two, which ones have allowed you to pursue your your passion projects? Which ones have allowed you to be more creative? Is it is it agency or or brand? In terms of creative pursuits, some of the stuff that you do that I, I, I really enjoy is, is the personal branding work that you do, right? like the like the stuff that you teach, the stuff you post on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is actually where I primarily get to consume content you produce. Which one has allowed you more freedom to pursue the passion for teaching, the passion for creating content? Has it been in brand or, or has it been in agency? I would have to say both are perfectly like open for it. So I think there are two different motivations from the companies I've worked on. When I was in agency, the two agencies that I've worked in, being quite public and being almost a face of the company in, in events and in the industry, it allows us to expand our network, build a reputation, and allow us to get new clients. You know, mm-hmm. dare, dare I say that? Uh, allow us to, to be out there. Oh, no, I, I absolutely agree, right? Like, I absolutely agree. I would say a good 25% of TrueLogic's clients come from people that, were part of a lecture, that were part of an event, yeah. or you speak somewhere, yeah. right? So it, it does build to the confidence against the brand. Yeah, it does. And I'm, I'm really proud of some of the client relationships that I've had over the years as well, because many of them were my students. And the, the amount of business that they brought in, the two agencies that I worked for, is significant. And you know, it's, it's allowed me to it's allowed me to also have a the build, build a personal reputation as well, that if I work on your brand, we're going to give it our best damn shot. And that's the least that they deserve. Also because a lot of them are my students. So the expectations are high and my teacher integrity uh, wants me to give them the best possible work. From the brand perspective, it's a bit more interesting because the way our company works is it's never going to stop you from pursuing the things that make you happy. So like during my interview process, I wanted to be very transparent with them that I teach. And these are the number of hours that I teach in a year here are the Saturdays uh, allocated for my classes. Uh, here are the memberships that uh, of, in the industry that I'm part of. And just disclose that. And I think that's a very important part of the relationship with myself and my company and the, the whole wow. disclosure part. And the person who was interviewing me, who would turn out to be my manager later on, she was like, that's perfectly fine. In fact, that's really great because it allows you to, to stay sharp and yeah. it allows you to, to kind of practice what you're theorizing in, in the classroom. Plus, you know, it also makes me very happy. So morale-wise, it's good. The whole public speaking thing, I would have to say there were some limitations because now with the role, I do have a bigger responsibility. I have some representation. So mm-hmm. I have to be careful that I don't misrepresent who I am, especially yeah. what I do for the brand. I've said no to a lot of talk invites, which I usually don't. But there's a two-pronged reason for that. The first is that if it's a talk, for example, and it's got a competitor in it, then I can't do it. I won't do it. It's just not good for our brand reputation. And if there's a risk that it would be misconstrued as representing what the brand stands for, then I'm not going to do it. The second is that I've also gotten a little older and a little bit more, dare I say, established in the industry. So I would protect my time a bit more. I'm a lot more selective now with my engagements. Uh, I don't necessarily do as many public 
speaking engagements anymore. But if it's a school, it's a pro bono thing for a public university, that's an automatic yes for me usually. Uh, but yeah, generally, if it's if it's just to protect the business's reputation and also my time, then mm-hmm. I limit myself. Right. I, I, now I actively limit myself. Right. For me, I think the, the challenge was being able to farm out that role to other members of Logic's team, right? Like that, now I'm not the only person that, that represents the brand when it comes to speaking outside and whatnot. I've got Imbar, I've got Chris. Like there are other people yeah. that do that because I didn't also want to diminish how present we were. Like, let, let's face it, the uh-huh. literacy in the country, there's still much to be desired, right? Like, uh, how many times oh, yeah. have you guys ever hired somebody and go like, oh, wow, like, he's super perfect, a square peg in a square hole. That, like, that almost never happens with us. Yeah. yeah. So, on the topic of competency, how large is the digital team you, you work with now? Oh, it's huge, man. I mean, the company is almost 90,000 strong. So there's probably digital departments that I haven't even met or heard of. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's just massive. From our team, we're not necessarily all handling digital work. Uh, I would say probably, probably a dozen would be involved in the digital work. Uh, but that's spread out across a lot of different roles. Right. And so how do you how would you distinguish the difference in terms of digital savviness in an agency and in a brand? Ooh, that's a good question. In agency, the digital savviness is, I mean, both of us were neck deep in this. The digital savviness is about a breath. I would say it's a lot of the wide knowledge of the digital world because client questions can happen anytime and it can be about anything. Yeah. Right. So knowing a lot about digital platforms, channels, content, case studies, best-in-class examples, publications even to read. That was the, the challenge when I was in the digital agency servicing clients. But from a brand, I would say it's more depth where you have to be really good at or specialize in one or two, I would say like two minimum uh, platforms or channels and digital or concept or a principle in, in digital. Why? Because you have your agencies who can provide the whole breadth part, but the depth part you have to have. Otherwise, if you're not, let, let's, let's use SEO as an example. So that's the nature of your business. Yeah. If your client was really deep into SEO and knew what this person was talking about, they're not going to run their SEO right themselves, but they're going to need a partner to do it like like you guys. Yeah. But then the brief, the quality of the brief will be really amazing because they're 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 neck deep into yeah, the topic. Stuff, right. Right. Yeah. So they don't need to know what's the latest trend on SEO. They don't need to know how to work on the meta tags, etc. They don't have to. But if they know the inner workings of how it's progressed through the last 10, 15 years, the brief will be better. If they know very specific principles on, for example, keywords or website efficiencies, then your brief would be amazing. For you as the agency, I would say, the more you know, though, the more value add you can put in the solution. So if there's a difference, I think those are the two big ones. And those are the two competency angles that I personally would look at. I want to be an expert. So when I brief you, I know what I'm talking about, but I expect my agency to be the I would say the explorer, like, tell me what's new out there. Tell me what's something that's outside of my radar. 
And then right. we can work on that together. Right. Simply because you live and breathe this, the expectation is that you're sort of like the pathfinder to everything that's yeah, probably like happening that now and whatever is happening foreseeably. Like I think agencies already had an opinion, like as soon as the iOS 14.5 came out and this spread, <laughs> yeah. iPhone came out, right? And we were probably yeah. all thinking, okay, how many campaigns am I going to have to redo? <laughs> no, but here's, <laughs> when, here's the thing though, that I noticed. Yeah, here's the thing I noticed, especially with the Philippine agency setting, is that I think a lot of agencies are just too comfortable with their cash cows. And usually that social media management or making PVCs and ads, I think they're too comfortable that there's no longer a lot of that desire to, okay, what's new out there? What should we tell our clients when they ask these questions? Because personally, and this is a very small target sample, right? When I teach and I have agency people in my classroom, they always bring up to me that their clients ask them questions and they're not really sure what to say. For me, the onus is on the agency to kind of know what to say, right? Your, your job is to always be curious about what's out there. Always assume that a client's going to ask you a question about something they don't know about. And if you're the agency that gives them the answer, not even just the answer, you know, if, if you're the person that can give them resources or get into a conversation where you both discover answers together, then the value add is so much better. Right, right. I would have to say that's a pretty common scenario that happens with us where we'll get thrown a question. And then luckily, it was a point of discussion at some point in the office. There's there's not a single day where, where people in the organization don't message board something about, uh, hey, guys, saw this. Is it a big deal? Right? Like, it, it always begins. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like social media people will raise social media issues about, hey guys, I'm seeing this. Uh, I need opinions. Is it a big deal? And then that becomes a point of discussion. But I, I also think that goes to the culture of the agency, right? Like uh, again, it's about uh, yeah, it's it's yep, more yep. than just about cashing in on your cash cow. It's do you really love the craft that you're doing? Well, yeah, what? that that can get spicy though. I mean, <laughs> you know, oh yeah, 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 yeah. The, the, the implicit point there is that yeah, you're coast, you're coasting, man. If you're not curious, which I don't disagree with. What about unique capabilities? Are there capabilities you've discovered in brand? Like, are are there things that you saw a brand do now that you're now that you're part of a multinational corporation? Are there capabilities? Are there competencies there that you experienced? Like, oh wow! No, we don't do this in an agency. Like, oh wow! I've I've never seen this. I've only seen this in this setting. Have you experienced anything like that in brand that you'd never seen while you were in an agency? Hmm. Well, my, my sample size is one because I've only ever been in one non-agency company. I would say it's a lot more business objective or business implication skewed. So for example, an agency, most agencies don't really think about how will this campaign make my client money? I mean, they could probably create a campaign and then how does this achieve the objective? So if the brief is, let's make a website. Most agencies will build a website that does X, Y, and Z. That's really it. But right. they don't, or, or maybe they do, but I know for sure with like agencies I'm exposed to, they don't necessarily think about how will this website contribute to my client's bottom line in the next five years. I mean, ideally, they should, but mm-hmm. the reality is it's out of scope, right? It's out of scope. Yep. So, But from a brand, it's always how does this impact if not my financial bottom line, my reputational bottom line. Because companies, especially the companies that take business seriously, they know that if the reputation is not good, it impacts the bottom line. So I, I really dislike it when, when companies go, any publicity is good publicity. No, it's not. 
Bad publicity true. reduces shareholder value, and there's right. a ton of literature out there that proves right. this. So now as brand, I have to think about that all the time. When I write a brief to my agencies, I want them to know very clearly that this work actually impacts our business in a BC way. Not just, I want a website. I want a TikTok account. I want a new content plan for my Instagram. That's, I would say that's very basic. It's not wrong, but it's short term, right? Yeah. And I've learned quite quickly over the last year that short termism is great if you want to show quick wins to your manager, but it's not really good for long-term results, which you should be gunning for if you're aiming to like really do amazing in the role or you're going for more senior role. So you right. got to think more long-term and more business impact. So that's all we've got time for for today's True Logic DX webinar. But I there is more to this conversation. So I hope you join me in the part two of, of this conversation. So join me on episode two of the conversation between brands versus agencies. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, on YouTube. If there's a guest you'd like us to sit down with, if there's a topic you'd like us to cover, please feel free to, to give us feedback. We're listening to you on social media. Check out our website if you haven't already. We are www.trulogic.com.ph for more information about us and digital marketing and some of the other material that we put out there. And make sure to catch our upcoming episode on your favorite podcast network. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.